0: Oh hi, I'm your host Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Oh my god! Thank
1: you so much.
0: The nominees for Best Performance by an Actress are Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins, Anne Bancroft in The Pumpkin Eater, Sophia Loren in Marriage Italian Style, Debbie Reynolds in The Unsinkable Molly Brown, Kim Stanley in Seance on a Wet Afternoon. The winner is Julie Andrews. And Mary Pop- Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1965 Ceremony Year win for Julie Andrews for the movie Mary Poppins. Uh, Best Actor went to Rex Harrison for My Fair Lady. Best Supporting Actor went to Peter Ustinov for Top Copy. Best Supporting Actress went to Lila Kedrova for Zorba the Greek. Best Director went to George Cukor for My Fair Lady. And Best Picture went to My Fair Lady, which we will... Talk about that when we're talking about Mary Poppins, or maybe just off the top. I don't know. Uh, Today, I am joined by a friend, a comedian, a producer, a director, a writer. He just had his uh, comedy album debut at number one on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) Homo say what? It's Robert Watson. Hey, Robert. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm riding the high of having a
1: number one on iTunes that I did not campaign for at all. (laughs) So, feeling pretty good. It was actually. How does it
0: feel? How does it feel?
1: Uh, Quite awesome. It was a relief because I made this goal like, okay, I want to be number one on iTunes. That's my goal with launching the album. And uh, I forgot that no one uses iTunes anymore. Mm. So it was actually like people wanted to support the album, like a pre sale kind of thing to help me get to number one. But they're all like, oh, I don't have iTunes or I haven't used iTunes since 2008 yeah, or something. right So that was, uh, we got there, but it was very, it was an interesting ride for sure.
0: I find the majority of people
1: use Spotify these days. It's true, but there's no, I don't think, is there such thing as a debut at number one on Spotify? I have absolutely, in Canada? Like, I have
0: absolutely no idea.
1: Because here's the thing, I needed to sell like a hundred albums in Canada on iTunes to like cinch it, you know? Right. And uh, didn't didn't sell a hundred in, in the end, but like, oh, pretty close. But uh, they, there's nothing like, it's the Canadian iTunes charts, right? I don't yeah. think they have a Canadian Spotify comedy chart. I have no idea, but you know what? Why don't? Why am I talking? Because when I should just be celebrating my win, huh? Yeah, yeah, celebrate. Yeah,
0: check it out, folks. It's called Homo Say What. Homo Say What. Um... Available on all streaming platforms. (laughs) Well, that's very exciting. Um, I always like to ask my guests whenever they come onto the show of like why they selected a year. So why Julie Andrews? playing <laughs> you're supposed to laugh already Mary Poppins uh, well, I, so I hadn't seen Mary Poppins in a long time and I, and I
1: remember liking it as a kid moments of it fair, obviously fair so I was like and then I looked at the other nominees I was like oh my god we've got Sophia Loren we've got uh, Debbie Reynolds who are like you know Anne and Bancroft like these are all big name Hollywood stars so I thought you know this is if we're going to do one of those like let's go back in the catalog to this year I thought this would be a fun one to do so that, that, that sort of was like mm, can we do this one
0: I would I haven't seen any of these movies like including Mary Poppins that was never my journey as a child um, and it was so interesting seeing all of these performances and all of these movies because each one of them is so different from and each performance is so different yes maybe Debbie Reynolds could be compared to like Julie Andrews in like the musical theater sort of. Yeah, a bit. A yes, bit. but also no. But also no. Like there these are such different performances and each one of them has their strengths in different ways. And this was actually, for me, a very strong year, which mm. I enjoyed because I recently did Glenda Jackson for Women in Love and it was arguably, like, one of the worst years, almost, like, up there with Jessica Lange what for that Blue again? Sky. It was, like, 1971 okay, or 1972 okay. or something. Like, it was just not a strong year. Um, and I was, you know, with these older films, like, especially for me, like, this is really out of my depth. You never know what you're going to get. So I really enjoyed this year mm. because, again, like, I haven't seen any of these movies, but they were all, for me, very great performances in very different Ways, yes, that being said, though, let's just jump into it. So, let's talk about our first nominee here. I think this is Debbie Reynolds's first and only nomination. Uh, which I'm pretty sure of it too. You'd think it would be for like singing in the rain or something like that, but let's talk about Debbie Reynolds and the unsinkable Molly Brown. So, very uh, quickly. Uh, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, a poor, uneducated mountain girl, leaves her cabin in search of respect, a wealthy husband, and a better life in this fictionalized biopic, and fictionalized, very important, biopic of Margaret, quote unquote, Molly Brown, who survived the 1912 sinking of the RMS Titanic, a.k.a. Bathy Cates. Exactly. Well, this, this is one of the reasons why I, like, this This is another reason, because I know how much you love
1: Titanic. Like, I, love. I've been here, and you're like, let's just put it on in the background. Yes. <laughs> so the, I, I thought this was would be an interesting thing, especially for you to watch, because, you know, Kathy Bates, iconic in the role in the James Cameron film in uh, the 90s. So here's, like, here's a really expanded take on who this woman was.
0: Right. And the thing that I found very interesting about this is... Uh... Okay, so Harv Presnell is Johnny Brown, who is the father in Fargo of the, the woman that has been kidnapped. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh. and it's he kind of almost looks like Austin Butler a little bit in this movie, and he's very, yeah. like, the hills are alive with the sound of Colorado. Yeah, very. Oh, oh, so,
1: I, I, for me, it was, like, the, the Colorado song was, like, Oklahoma, kind of. Yeah. Like, it was, like, Paul oh, Rogers-Hammerstein, even though it's not by Rogers Hammerstein.
0: Yeah. So, Debbie Reynolds in this movie is um, Molly Brown, and I they actually do have the Titanic moment which I didn't know if they were going to do it you actually do see the Titanic sinking you actually do see her rallying people on the boat and <laughs> an 11th hour moment in the film yes. yeah, 100% it was definitely like just kind of got in like at the end Space, almost denouement almost yeah 100% and at first it took me a really long time to understand why Debbie Reynolds was nominated for this like rootin' tootin' hoedown of a performance because there's a lot of long musical uh, numbers put musical in quotes though because I gotta <laughs> say <laughs> there was
1: it was more screaming and yelling in those songs than it was right. musicality like that was that was tough
0: yeah you had your elbows like swaying oh side to side stomping on the ground S- screaming at the sky and kind of i didn't stuff. know that molly brown was the original old testament story of moses where she was found in a basket in treacherous rapids uh, which she crawls out of safely as a baby that was something else that was did. I was like what is this what are we in for yeah it was the <laughs> Prince of Egypt it was the Princess of Colorado and uh she is really scrappy at the beginning um she fights with the boys and then at one point they go to like her shack where everybody's Irish and I was like is that on purpose it actually is because they're all Irish immigrants mm. um and then uh they basically all the men describe uh Molly Brown they're just like reading her. Filth, like they're basically calling her like a beast to her face, (laughs) and then she decides, I'm gonna go and find me a rich husband and I'm gonna do that. And then she does, I
1: wish she had sounded like that,
0: (laughs) and just (laughs) wackiness ensues. Also, I do have to say, there were a lot of victims of terrible wigs Sophia Loren, Debbie Reynolds in this movie. It does get better near the end, but there were a lot of terrible wigs this year. Um, but what did you think about this movie? What did you think about this performance?
1: Well, so I,
0: I am pretty well
1: versed in musicals. This was not one that I watched at, uh, at all as a, as a younger person. <laughs> and I mean, I will say I did not, I, I was hating this movie until she finally got rich. Then I was like, okay, now this is going somewhere. <laughs> uh, but also so interesting that this is released uh, the same year as My Fair Lady, because it very much is another like, uh, fish out of water, someone gentrifying themselves, a uh, like different story. But it's like, you know, two sides of a similar coin where, of course, in My Fair Lady, we have, um, you know, Rex Harrison plucks Audrey Hepburn from her, her poor life as a, as a basically a homeless uh, Londonite. And, and then, you know, he trains her into becoming uh, a debutante. Right. And passes her off as a debutante. And so the Molly Brown story is she wants to pass herself off as a debutante. So it's like she's she's her own motivating factor in wanting to fit in with the social light world. Right. Uh, I, I will say this was just not executed as well as My Fair Lady, which right. isn't a surprise when you look at the source material, really.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. And also the whole like rags to riches. I mean, marriage Italian style. We have the unsinkable Molly Brown. You have My Fair Lady. So this seemed to be like a very common theme that they were doing um for women's roles and but most specifically like this year um, I also agree with you. I, I think maybe it's like a gay thing. Once she got rich, we're like, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, I like her dress now. Yeah. You know, like, like, mm, better okay. wigs. <laughs> yeah. And it was just sort of like that whole thing where it's like, you can't buy yourself class. And I just kept picturing Rose's mother from Titanic being like, new money.
1: <laughs> and
0: she kept having those kind of moments. Um, but I really enjoyed watching debbie reynolds because i gotta say i didn't really understand the oscar nomination until she got rich and then you see that range you see the growth of character you see that she goes to europe because she wants to become more sophisticated more cultured more educated and then she does and she comes back and she realizes that like it doesn't work uh in the way that she wants it to like she literally has like a receiving line for gladys mccraw because uh, she really needs to stick it to Gladys McGraw, who is also new money. And she is trying to prove that she's just as good as her. Well, because she got
1: snubbed at Gladys's party. So she needs to apparently spend five years of her life getting her revenge 100%. for this one moment. <laughs> I know.
0: Which is, it's, a, it's her vanity project. Totally. And um, it's a hollow victory. And then she goes back to Europe... To lick her wounds. Well, and... her husband
1: calls her out on on all the phoniness of, why? Why? Yes. Why is this so important to you? Yes. And, yes.
0: And then, of course, she runs into Gladys McGraw, by chance, in Europe again, and still, they finally have this, like, good to see you, Gladys. I'm okay with you, and you're okay with me moment. We're both trash, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We both come from the same trailer park. Um... And then she kind of seems a little bit more sophisticated. And then it really isn't until like the Titanic sinks that she like snaps back into like the rootin' tootin' yeah, Mala Brown. Good
1: observation.
0: Um, also, uh, Gladys McGraw, her nemesis's mother, Buttercup, the Irish sailor, was my favorite. <laughs> yes. So she's in Mary Poppins as well as the maid. Oh. Yes. I forget oh. this actress's name, but
1: she also played uh, Mrs. Novachuk in the TV series Maud oh. and I, I hated her in Maud but I loved her in both of these movies you loved her in both of these movies
0: yeah. um, I also think it's really th- funny uh, how I mean, I respect that, like, Molly Brown, like, how honest she was about being a gold digger.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: there was no question. Oh, <laughs> she wasn't hiding her intent from anybody. Uh, maybe another reason why I could appeal to gays. I don't know. They they love uh, the Real Housewives of fill in the blank. You know, and that is kind of their brand is, like, gold. Maybe not necessarily gold digger, but, like, gold digger. But,
1: like, naked ambition. Naked ambition. You know, like, there's, like, like how I tried to sell my album last week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Not subtle. Um... Overall, great singing, great dancing. I loved again, like yeah, like we were saying, like whenever she gets rich and she tries to educate herself and become more cultured. I did find the like scrappy Molly Brown at the beginning to get kind of a little annoying after a while. Yeah. The ten minute dance sequences, impressive dancing, impressive singing. The although, <laughs> although these ten minute dance sequences were not even half as long as the one from Mary Poppins. We'll get into that. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about. Oh that. boy, but um, you I know. will say
1: with my experience of having watched a. A lot of movie musicals. I don't think that the songs or the dancing particular—they're not—they're not really that memorable. That's not Debbie Reynolds' fault. Mm. Um, so you have to be like, oh, I can't blame her for that. But you know, we still will sort of, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, there's no memorable songs. Like, like me saying like this song about Colorado just harkens back to better songs from other musicals. True. So that's that's where I was like, mm, it's not quite holding up. I just I just really enjoyed her trying to stick it to Gladys. Was where I started getting invested because I think we've all felt that about someone who's you know, maybe a little bit better off than us, and we hope that we can destroy them somehow. <laughs> maybe that's a gay thing. I don't know. I think it's also a comedian
0: thing. Yeah, it might be. They intersect. <laughs> um, I de- Yeah, I think that you're using uh, Debbie Reynolds and all of her skills to the best of her ability. Yeah. I think that she did a good job, but I just think that it's overall, like you said, just not really a memorable yeah. um movie. It's
1: interesting that she lobbied for this role quite a bit. They wanted Shirley MacLaine <laughs> yes. to play this role. And I could see... You know, past roles that Shirley MacLaine has played feeding into this, you know, the hit that she would have for for Museless Beings spunky and sparky. And Debbie Reynolds, of course, was very fresh and, you know, singing in the rain, fresh-faced, you know, Mm -hmm. ingenue. So she really lobbied for this role. And I hope, I guess she must have been happy with it. She got a nom out of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of her win. Um, this is Debbie Reynolds's personal favorite of her movies. Oh. Um, I have, this is kind of like a longer quote. I'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. But, uh, the story of JJ Brown, uh, her Molly Brown's husband, the mm-hmm. rich guy that she was yearning after, um, the scene where she puts the money in the fireplace and burns it that actually never happened it's actually an exaggeration so someone uh, said you know i was talking to a friend about this who loves it
1: and she insisted that that oh that's based on that part was based on the truth but you're debunking. It's not.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, Sorry, the, friend. Yeah, so um, that didn't actually happen. It was made up by a Denver journalist after Molly Brown became a hero on the Titanic. When asked by her daughter why she didn't refute the false story, Molly Brown supposedly replied, it's better that they write something about me than nothing. <laughs> okay. Kathy Bates, as Molly Brown, repeats the story in James Cameron's Titanic because at one point they cut to her and she goes, and then he comes home and then he decides he's going to light himself fire. That's what she's talking about. <laughs> Uh, Molly Brown is also said to have reported the story with a slightly different ending. Molly did hide the money in the potbelly stove in their Leadville cabin. And Johnny unknowingly started a fire on a particularly cold night. That's in keeping with the other version, but the end of the story, as told by Molly and reported in newspaper interviews during her lifetime, was uh, a little different. Her addition was, just think that it had been paper money, and the money was gold and silver coin, which uh, melted and melted into the stove. So instead of it being cash, it was like... Yeah, like you can jewelry. Salvage that. Yeah, exactly. So miners didn't trust uh, paper money in those years, and so I guess that gives validity to the story. And the stove had to be broken apart and re-smelted to separate the iron, gold, and silver. Wow! So How hot a fire was that fire that I you know. Made? Yeah, holy shit! The fires of Mount Doom <laughs> yeah, in this no little kidding. tiny stove so um i have like more long uh facts about this movie but obviously this is going to be a bit of a longer episode so i won't read everything but i will just say that the main point of the fact that i was going to read is just that uh margaret brown uh because she was never actually called molly people called her molly but no she never referred to herself and people that knew her never actually called her molly brown she that was too. just the nickname that was given to her It stuck like j-law or like j-lo you know Um, uh, Margaret Brown was in Paris visiting her daughter, Helen, when she got a cable alerting her that her infant grandson was very ill. She cut her visit short and hurriedly caught the earliest ship home. Thus, she was very much an accidental passenger on the Titanic. Wow. Um, and in this movie, they don't have kids. No, I
1: know. It's just saying visiting her daughter in Paris. I don't remember that in the movie. Yeah.
0: There was a lot of, they took a lot of liberties with this. (laughs) They sure did. Which is why when I was descri- describing the, the like, the plot, I was literally, like, fictionalized. Like, yeah. there's so much of this movie that was just <laughs> completely made up. Okay, do you have anything else, though, that you would like to add to Debbie Reynolds' perf- performance before we move on? Was there maybe, like, a moment that really got you? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I did really. So I really
1: enjoyed the whole... Her getting back at Gladys, scene where she brings the Duchess yeah. and all the royalty, and they're all getting announced down. I mean, maybe it's not so much a uh, a Debbie Debbie moment per se, but like you know, and then she breaks out and just starts doing like her jig with the with the people from the the town uh, who are you know ups- it upsets all of the Gladysites, yeah, as I would call them. Um, uh, I, I, her when she's refined and she's and then the. Sort of like the backwoods would peek out. Those were some of my favorite moments mm-hmm. when she's among these people, and, and that's apparently that was according to this movie was her charm with all these Europeans as well. It charmed me as well. That that's where I got really charmed by what she was doing.
0: And I think that it was necessary for her to have that new classy version and then have the like kind of you know backwoods root and tootin thing come out because. Mm. In my opinion, I felt like the Root and Tootin' Debbie, or the Root and Tootin' Molly, and then the new sophisticated Molly were literally like two different characters. Mm-hmm. To me, it didn't feel like. Molly Brown had grown into the sophisticated. Yeah. It felt like two different people. So I felt like when she started letting the little root and, and come out, when she was sophisticated, it like balanced it. Yeah, because it did kind of feel like two different performances at one point.
1: Yeah, it's inevitable because of the type of story to to compare it to My Fair Lady. And My Fair Lady was all about the journey mm-hmm. to getting to to the refinement for Eliza Doolittle. Whereas this one, it's like we did a jump cut, and she's like, "Oh, we've been in Europe now. Oh, little mon." montage of me painting yeah doing piano learning French and then yeah. suddenly boom she's a, a debutante you know which is wasn't the journey that we saw in what ended up winning the best picture
0: well I want to talk about that because it'll be more relevant whenever we talk about Julie Andrews but mm-hmm. um, I watched this very interesting documentary on Be Kind Rewind I talk about this channel all the time on this podcast watch it it's so interesting about Julie Andrews and how she, the, the politics around this so obviously uh, she had Eliza Doolittle was like Julie Andrews's role on, on Broadway. Bro- yes, She was super famous. Yes. So they expected her to get the role whenever they announced the movie. But then because Jack Warner was like, well, you're kind of a nobody in the movies because mm-hmm. Mary Poppins was her first movie role ever, which like <laughs> way to win an Oscar on your first movie no role. Kidding. Cool. kidding. Not many people do that. Yeah, no. And so whenever uh, it, it was time to cast, they were like, well, yeah, Julie Andrews, like, yeah, like, you're amazing and you made it famous on Broadway, but, like, you're a nobody. So we need somebody like Audrey Hepburn uh, who would bring in more money. It's a guaranteed yeah. win. And so whenever they were both nominated at the Golden Globes, I think Julie Andrews maybe took that, at, like, a little personally. And when she won her Golden Globe for Mary Poppins, in her acceptance speech, she thanked Jack Warner. Ooh, yeah. snap. I. Who says she's not feisty? Yeah, and then it's it's kind of unfortunate for Audrey Hepburn oh. because Julie Andrews and Audrey Hepburn are genuine friends. Like, they have no animosity toward each other. It was more just sort of like a wink and a nudge toward Jack Warner. But then whenever Oscar nominations were coming out, Audrey Hepburn was left out. But it's like, how could she have not given an, an Academy Award nominated performance when it literally won Best Picture?
1: Uh, well, she wasn't the voice of the sing- the singer. She wasn't the singing voice.
0: But it's unfortunate because Audrey Hepburn actually went Can't. and sang. and she did all of the scenes they did that after and then they just dubbed over her without telling her oh they did her dirty they did her dirty so Audrey Hepburn in this way is actually kind of a little bit of a victim this year Mm -hmm. and probably should have been nominated for Best Actress you know what I think she ended up doing okay (laughs) she's she's (laughs) fine she's She's EGOT it's okay Um, but I just wanted
1: to 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 mention that. No, it is worth mentioning because that that was the scandal of the year. Yeah. It, it, well, maybe scandal in quotes, but that was the buzz. I mean, we got the buzz this year. We're finding, out, well, that actress that's you know got her nomination for uh, a movie that no one knows about, and everyone's mad about her being nominated. Yeah. Is that that's not about you know what. You can look it up. It's in today's news. (laughs) I don't know why I'm talking about that now.
0: Okay. So let's talk about our next nominee. Let's talk about Kim Stanley in Seance on a Wet Afternoon. Uh, so Kim is Mira in this movie and Richard Attenborough is Bill and for anybody that doesn't know who Richard Attenborough welcome to Jurassic Seance on a wet afternoon that's right yes but he had a prosthetic nose in this movie which is why maybe you didn't recognize him I know I didn't at all yeah so very quickly a medium and her husband stage a kidnapping in order for her to pretend to solve the crime and achieve fame okay I'm gonna say it I fucking loved this movie it was very well paced Mm -hmm. Um, the drama was everything that it should have been I thought it was very well written it was very well acted and you know what you don't really have a lot of locations you don't really have a lot of actors you don't have like these big special effects it's just about the the thrill and the suspense of like are they going to get caught are they not going to get caught um the only thing that i didn't like about the movie was how the child was never like where are my parents (laughs) Um, (laughs) that was the only thing that i didn't enjoy about the movie um but the beginning of the film also maybe had like a little bit too much exposition. That kind yeah, of, yeah, it was annoying. a slow
1: starter. And I was starting to get annoyed. And then things started happening.
0: And then things started happening because once they happened, I was really into it. Um, I thought Kim Stanley as Mira, it's like this you can tell that she's kind of a little off. Yeah. And there were moments where you could see the acting. I thought so too. I'm not mad at that. I feel like maybe that could also be like, because it's just, that's the style of acting in that decade. So maybe us in 2023 watching this could be like, okay, like acting has evolved so much since then so that I can see all your little tricks. I don't know. But I would say there were some moments where I could see where she was acting, but overall, um, I just enjoyed the dynamic of her and Bill's marriage. She was in in control, but she was also, again, like, a little off. But he would still do anything for her, but you could tell that he kind of resented her on some level. And um, she was, like, evil, but she was also, like, kind of, again, like, a little crazy, but also, like, did she have powers? And I just kind of love the uncertainty of all these kinds of things, and I just love watching everything unravel. And just as a film and as a performance, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Yeah, so so I—so— Mentioning the acting style, I think that's
1: very uh, pertinent to to bring up. Uh, from what I from what I was able to research, it was originally a radio play. Oh, so that explains to me maybe why it's a little bit verbose, because obviously, you know, if they were. Um, if they're making, you know, transferring it to film, but they're keeping a lot of what was being being said. Uh, you know, a radio play you make up for what you don't see with more words. Mm-hmm. So that could be to me why that beginning was like that because it was a lot. And there's something. Uh, it's interesting. This this script wasn't by Harold Pinter. It's funny that the uh, one of the other the other movie, the um, uh, Anne Bancroft film, was a. Uh, uh, yes a so pumpkin eater was adapt was adapted by Harold Pinter who is a very famous British playwright but very well known for for not letting you in on what's going on so you're right. left questioning uh, but also taking a long like they're talking about something that has nothing to do with what actually is happening but it reveals character and all that which can be tedious that's what I felt at the beginning uh, was uh with, but then of course then things get revealed and then the stakes get really high and
0: Uh, Well, when she goes over to the family's house, the family of the daughter who is missing, and she offers her medium services. And and then you're like, so what's her game here? And you realize that there's a whole plan
1: to this all along. This is when she gets more and more interesting as the plan gets revealed. And how she just bullies her husband into doing everything. Yeah, I mean, for me, the most exciting part of the film was him... Uh, getting the money when when they did the whole subway where he like it obviously was all planned how he was gonna bump into the father of the girl who's been kidnapped and take the money and get his get onto the subway but all of that was um was intriguing to watch yeah uh, and interestingly enough the uh, theme for this movie is done by oh now I'm gonna forget his name but the guy who wrote the James Bond um theme Ooh. so the music was really that was underscoring that was really um playing into it. I thought the 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 music really supported those silent moments that were very theater. Yeah. Because there was a lot, like, the pause is a, and the, what do you think, Billy? Or, oh, you yeah. know, like, Billy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, a lot, right. A lot of her saying Billy. Yeah. And then saying something critical or being like, you, you know. But, I mean, when it got to the final scene of the of the film, it, it everything felt right, like it had dropped into place, which is like, it's been a while since I've seen a movie that doesn't spell it out for me, so I know what's going to happen. So this was actually this was quite refreshing. I was prepared not to like this, mm. and like like you, I ended up really liking it.
0: I ended up really liking it as well. I mean, you know, she's cunning, she's strategic, she's manipulative, mm. but she's also like extremely calm. Um, and I also just love like you're saying like the power dynamic between her and her husband because again, with these roles, it's always like the wife or the prostitute yeah or the nanny. Uh, and, and as
1: far as um, the actress uh, you know playing at Kim Stanley, um, you know compared to the other Hollywood actresses we are seeing in this category like playing like a, like she looks like a real person too yeah, you know which totally. was, which was sort of, Nice. See, I'm not sure why they chose black and white. It's by the Brits and the Brits like they like their black and white films long after the Americans were switching over.
0: Oh yeah. I mean when Simone Signore won, that was black and white. When uh oh god, who was it that I wanted to win? It was for the year that Catherine Hepburn and won for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I can't remember the actress's name, but this was also a black and white movie and that was like 1967, 1968. They held on to the black and white for a long time. Um easier for set dressing. Probably, but it was almost like watching like whatever happened to baby Jane type of thriller where it's like, oh, are they going to get caught? Where it's like, they have this prisoner like stuck in a bed. Um, and then also yeah. like the child was like being drugged a lot, which for me would just be a vacation. If I'm being honest <laughs> with you, I wouldn't mind being strapped to a bed and just here's some painkillers. Um, but he, uh, eventually Bill eventually loses it whenever the kid's mom comes by for like one of the medium,
1: uh, I mean this this moments. is the, and this
0: is like the wrench that went into their plans cuz I don't think it was
1: ever planned yeah. on Myra's part for the mom to then just show up yeah. with her daughter literally in the other room while she's asking questions of this medium where's my daughter
0: you know yep. basically and that's when something. and that's when he finally calls her out and that needed to happen because she was really just bossing him around the whole time Oh yeah but- I mean he was and I also just love the way that you're like, does she have powers or is she just fucking full of shit? Well, wait, you know, and that exactly
1: the, the that's the movie decided it wasn't their job to tell us whether she was an actual medium or not, which I really appreciated, too. Yeah. And and she walks that line like that's where her acting really comes out as uh, as like, we don't know. She be, she certainly believes that she's a medium, I yeah. think. Yeah. But whether she's actually True. effective
0: that's another level of like drama that adds to it because yeah, you're literally like, I think that you think that you are, but like we as the audience are still kind of like, I I don't don't. think so, (laughs) but it's a movie. So you're like in this world of make believe it could be possible, but I just love that tension. And I also love like the suspense. I thought it was very well paced. I love the acting. Maybe some of the scenes dragged on a little bit. Um, But I mean, overall, uh, in the end, when she's doing that seance, quote-unquote mm-hmm. seance, and then she accidentally reveals that she was responsible for the whole thing and that she had hid the money and she did this in front of the police. I- I- again, like I was like, so it, it she did have powers and it's like the spirits are telling the police that or was it that she was just so out of touch with reality that she's... she's like so caught up in all of her lives that she's getting confused. Like I don't know. Like I just I love the uncertainty of it. Yeah, of I mean, all of it. It. I mean,
1: certainly there. It, uh, whether it was going into this like euphoric or uh, or dementia zone of, of that makes her just reveal it. You know, like she just that's that was her snapping. You know, because. When the when when more than one policeman like that shows up to your house, <laughs> like like you gotta know the gig's kind of up. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, and certainly it seems that her husband uh, was was pardon parcel to it because you know she, she had told him like we're gonna have to kill her and you're yeah. gonna have to get rid of the body. And he's like w- okay, uh, but then he just like she's drugged and she obviously was just asleep and he left her somewhere where she could be found. And then all of this that then it really all starts unraveling because of that too.
0: Yeah. Um, this movie's also on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. It's like, I really recommend watching this film. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great character study. I would agree. And also, she is at the center of it. With a lot of these, you know, lead performances, it's usually like... Lead Building actress. Building the man. Yes, exactly. The, and they just called lead actress because they're the first one. 100%. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. Or have the most lines out of all the other actresses.
0: 100%. So just a couple facts about this movie. So director Brian Forbes uh, looked for the house uh, with the turret as a film location. When he went to the owner for permission, she asked who was in the movie. When told that an American actress named Kim Stanley, the woman blanched, stepped back and said that Stanley was one of her oldest friends whom she had not seen in 17 years. What? So crazy coincidence. Um, In an early draft of the screenplay, Billy and Mira are both male. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so with with director Brian Forbes planning to cast Sir Alec Guinness and Sir Tom Courtenay as as a homosexual couple, uh, Courtenay agreed to play the role, but Guinness, however, turned it down. Forbes decided then to completely rewrite the screenplay. That's really funny. The like the bossy domineering woman <laughs> yeah. is actually a gay guy. I'm like, yeah, I could see that. Um and yeah, Richard Attenborough wore a prosthetic nose for the for his performance of the movie. Fooled me. Because I was wondering, I was like, did he get like a nose job or something? Like what's happening? Maybe
1: that's why it was black and white. Yeah. <laughs> because we saw the wigs in Molly Brown were terrible. Yeah, lonely.
0: they were bad. They were really bad. Uh, but overall, fantastic movie, fantastic performance from Kim Stanley, delightfully unhinged. Uh, and mm. m- manipulative, and a little crazy, and cunning, and I—I I always love to see like an evil, fabulous woman. <laughs> Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? No, I, I agree with everything that you said about that. Hey, best actress listeners, enjoying the show. Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays, it's no question. Visit patreon.com slash best actress to subscribe. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> Sophia Loren in marriage Italian style. Okay. Yes, please. So, the wealthy Domenico has had a long love affair with Filomena, played by Sophia Loren, who he's been happy to keep as a mistress, but nothing more. The problem comes when she grows tired of being kept to the side and hatches a plan to become a bigger part of his life. And uh, Domenico is played by Marcello. Mastroani, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I am not Italian, so Sounded forgive beautiful. me.
1: beautiful. You just got to, like, <laughs> put your hands together and yeah. go, yeah, and then offend <laughs> some people.
0: Um, <laughs> I, the movie opens, and it's this big dramatic scene where Philomena is so sick, and everyone is so concerned that they are literally carrying her in this beautiful Italian chair. Frankly, yeah. if I was that, if I was just, I had, a, like, a, a little bit of a cough, I wish that people would bring this much drama um to the fact remember, remember, this is Italian <laughs> Yeah, so this they're going to they're going to bring it so I I love that love the drama and um whenever she was like dying in bed mm-hmm. you see her having this like makeup moment she looks really tired she does not look good very uh, sallow yeah. I think for the time this would be considered very brave oh, um yes. she made herself look Ugly for yeah. film, yeah. And I think for the time that would be very brave because she's the most like gorgeous woman ever. And it's so funny because um, when she was like dying in bed, like I just for best actress listeners, like, I just came back from Mexico and I was so hungover, dying in bed. That is exactly what I looked like ah! in bed. <laughs> so this movie um, was both triggering and relatable. Um, Did
1: you also
0: have a smoky eye in bed? <laughs> <laughs> of course, I do a little cat eye. Yeah, absolutely. Um... So again, Loren is also the victim of really bad wigs in this movie, as Debbie Reynolds was in, Mo- mm, in the Unsinkable Molly fair. Brown. Not as bad, I would say, but yeah. But at the beginning, whenever he finds
1: her, like in the whorehouse. Oh yeah, like her when her the seventeen-year-old flashback. Yeah, yeah, that was
0: that was bad. It looked like a shower bad. cap with like octopus tentacles sticking out of it. Yeah, I
1: forgot about like it. <laughs> like imagine like. Isabella Rossellini gone wrong that's how that wig was like short hair trying to look like like that but it was like
0: it was yeah it was terrible you're right yeah Isabella Rossellini started like wandering the streets Yes. Yeah, it was it was a bad wig. Um but then two years later, bam, she has like the big hair, the cat eye, she's gorgeous. She looks great. She looks great. I'm like, okay, I'm Yeah, we're here. We're here we are here at the Sophia Loren part of the movie. Because but her hair her hair is so big, it's like a Trixie Mattel wig. Like it's so fucking big. I loved it. I I loved it every second of it. I love she she's kind of a drag queen in this movie a little bit. Well, I mean she is playing a prostitute and she
1: is larger than life. So definitely I, I hope that there are lots of Italian drag queens that
0: have taken inspiration oh, from this movie. There has to be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought Sophia Loren was magnificent in this movie. Yes, I know it's the right to riches again. Yes, I know mm-hmm. it's a story about a prostitute, but it's almost like I wish Pretty Woman was this. Like, uh, I thought this was almost like a darker version of it. I really enjoyed it a lot. And Some good plot twists, It's too. the first time I've ever seen Sophia Loren in a movie. I've never, oh, I've wow. never watched this. Sophia. I love, love, love this movie, and I loved I loved everything about her. So, what
1: did you think? Uh, I mean, I was, I was in it just to watch her reactions to everything. Yes, because, you know, it if it was over the top, it was earned, and then it was always juxtaposed with some of these quieter moments where you just got to look at her beautiful eyes yeah. saying whatever it was she was feeling in that moment as the character. Um, I like, and she she's playing this, you know, this a uh, feisty Italian woman, which some might consider, oh, well, you know, we've seen a feisty Italian woman before, but she, I mean, seeing her do it in, in the way that only Sophia Loren can do it with the eye makeup, with the beautiful legs and the clothes and the everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was, I
0: was taken on a trip and I was very willing to go. I know me too. Um, I also love that the story with, uh, Domenico, it's like, He's like the sugar daddy with the heart of gold, you know, and then sort of, yeah. And then he, (laughs) he leaves for four months and then he comes back saying that he wants her to meet his mother. And then when he goes, it's like, you're going to be her nurse now. Yeah. And I'm going to like lock you in this room with her. But then the way that Sophia Loren, like Philomena is like calling his mom like a bitch and she's like, oh "Oh my my God, God. she just fucking hates her. Like. She brought the comedy where the comedy needed to be. Yeah. She brought the drama where the drama needed to be. She brought the rage. Like, it just... This role, for me, just checked all of the boxes. No kidding, And huh? I'm looking so forward now to watching Sophia Loren's Oscar win, because I've never seen that movie. Yeah. And this is my first time visiting her work. And so I just... I've, oh, I don't like, really fallen in love with her. You're not going to be disappointed, okay. I don't think.
1: Uh, yeah, she... I mean... I, I, and I mean, considering that there were some parts of this that just are so Italian, yeah. <laughs> like you know, the the like, what what Italian movie doesn't have a man and a woman fighting with them and being like, "I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I hate you, I'll kill you," and then they kiss. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Know. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yes, when that happens, it's, it's like, so true. It's like if that didn't happen, this wouldn't have been an Italian movie. <laughs> uh, but like, but they do it, and you're like, you're not going, "Oh, this is over the top." stupid. And maybe it's because it's, you know, it's, of course it's all in Italian and we're watching the subtitles. Um, I don't think this movie would have worked as well if we were watching it in English. Yeah. Like yeah, I, there's something about, you know, it has to be in the language of where they're from for you to really get, yeah get where this is about. And so I was, you know, even though I'll be honest, I, I don't like subtitles on <laughs> movies. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I mean, I know I have to pay attention. You know, it's like, oh, I won't be smoking weed for this. I won't be drinking too much for this because I've got to keep my wits about me. Yeah. I felt like this movie was a drug and I was uh, intoxicated
0: by it. Yes. I completely agree with you. And actually... I'm one of the few people that actually love subtitles because I can I tend to get really A D D with movies oh, and it fair. like forces me to pay attention. Um and also who hates reading? Uh, reading <laughs> re- re- I guess I do. Reading reading's good. Um It's fundamental. I think for me, like, the most iconic moment was whenever, you know, she kind of tricks him into marriage. Ugh. And she's on her death, her quote-unquote deathbed. Wasn't that just fantastic? And I he, he calls and he's like, yeah, like, my wife is about to die. And then she opens the curtain behind him like a ghoul, like the girl from The Ring. Ugh. And she just fucking lets him have it. Oh, my God. Like... Again, where it needs to be funny, it's funny. Well, and that's when I realized I was in
1: a different movie than I thought I was watching as well. Because, you know, I thought this was... Because we were being shown so many flashbacks. I thought, oh, we're watching her death now. Yeah. Because... And we're going to see flashbacks of her life. And then we're like, oh, no, actually, we're just a quarter of the way through the movie and we're picking up here now and she's
0: not dying. Yes. And
1: I was like, yes, bring it. I loved it.
0: Yeah. um, I love whenever she finally stands up to him after 22 years um, and she's having absolutely none of it. It's whenever... Um, They're in the kitchen. This is after that she has revealed that she's actually not sick. And he says to her this line, Domenico says to her this line that drives me fucking crazy. He goes, you were never submissive. (laughs) It's like, bitch, she was literally on her fucking hands and knees scrubbing up your mother's piss out of a fucking bedpan. And you said that she was never, she did everything you told her to fuck off with that fucking toxic masculinity bullshit. I understand this is a different time, but that line, oh my God, that sent me. I was so angry. I got Yeah, but okay. To temper that. You were never submissive. She
1: did all that, but I'm sure she
0: complained. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that might be where he's like, you weren't submissive. Like, you didn't agree with my punish- my misogyny yeah. there, uh, Philomena, so... I also love how the movie turns into a Maury Povich special. Who's the daddy? I loved it. I was like, oh, this is where Mamma Mia got its inspiration. <laughs> I've never seen Mamma Mia. Oh, no. I mean... Well, uh, if you don't like Abba, don't, it's a musical. So you know how you feel. About
0: this. I love Abba. I don't like musicals, yeah, and girl. there were some musicals this year. Yeah. um, but i I the only thing the only thing about the movie that I thought was so silly and it felt very campy to me was the fact mm-hmm. that all of those boys were just out of the blue, like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You're my mom and dad now. I'll call you mom and dad. Totally. I'm like 21 years old, but like you're my mom and dad now. Well, (laughs) so they were raised by other people now. They they knew that they were. I mean, we saw the scene of her
1: visiting her baby, right? Yeah. And so like we know that she has these children Sort Like we have a hint at it, but then it's really revealed at the end when they're all grown. Yeah. I I don't know what society was like back then for Italian folks. And I think because it's. I don't think it's taking place in 1965 either. I think it's taking place a little bit earlier. I, 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 that's what I got from it. Um, but uh, the well, it was post World War II at the beginning. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're right. It's covering a span of years. So yeah, because you're right. They were scared of the bombing uh, at the beginning when she was her uh, with her wig. beautiful yeah. seventeen year old. <laughs> um, but I think maybe it wouldn't have been that surprising... Like. Surprising to be like, oh, I was sent to, these are your parents that you never knew. And you just be like, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, and he has a lot of money? Yeah, I'll call you daddy. Yeah, that's true. I
0: guess in the in the money sense. But for me, I just was like, I don't, that was the one thing that took me out of it. For sure. Fair enough. I mean, um, and meanwhile, you know, she's all these years, she's
1: been running his businesses, doing all these things for him, and he won't marry, won't, uh, you know, won't
0: commit to a uh, the kind of relationship that she wants out of him. Um, viril- There's only really one fact about this movie that I that I found that I thought was interesting. So um, when Domenico arranges an apartment in Naples for mm-hmm. Filmina, the former tenant's belongings are still in it. There is a picture of Clara Patacci, who is actually the dictator Mussolini's mistress, oh, wow. on the wall, and Filomino asks when this is going to be removed. The scene is set in the late 1940s, so this is obviously symbolizes Italy's transition from fascism to a republic. Ah, uh, yeah. And Mussolini himself would probably not have, uh, as in having Mussolini uh, himself instead of the mistress on the wall, it probably wouldn't have passed the censors. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Um, And so I thought that was, I thought that was interesting, but um, oh my God, like it's just the presence that Sophia Loren has. Undeniable. It's insane. And it's like, I get it.
1: Well, really, the, that's then, you know, kudos to the actor playing opposite her because you have to match up to that. Yeah. You know, and, and I thought they were very well matched as a pair. I think uh, so, too. But, it, I mean, it was definitely Sophia's movie. That, that's what made this great, too, because the story was about her as well. And uh, pretty much, like, with all of our our, our movies uh, in this year, the actresses, the movies are about them. Mm-hmm which is which is interesting. I mean, rank with misogyny all of these movies. <laughs> That's the one thing. I was like this is the connecting the what connects all these this is the crazy misogyny. Yeah. Uh, but that was the fragrance of the 60s well, right? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, this uh it's the out of all the all of the movies uh for just watching like the the movie and the story. I, this is one that I like, I would
0: say, oh, you need to watch this movie. I also just appreciate the fact that she wasn't always doing the sexy thing like she didn't do the Joan Crawford like always gorgeous even though she's supposed to be dying on the beach well it just comes naturally to Sophia Loren too so she doesn't have to yeah that's true but whenever yeah she just she does these like makeup list moments or she just makes herself look really haggard and I just kind of appreciated that she did that just seemed more realistic for an actor in the an actress
1: in the 60s who who, you know doesn't have social media to support their career and it's all
0: based on what other people are going to say about her like Yeah. yeah so brave So brave. Um, (laughs) Fantastic performance, fantastic movie. Highly recommend. Do you have anything else that you would like to say before we move on? No, I think we covered it. Okay, let's talk about Anne Bancroft in The Pumpkin Eater. So Anne Bancroft plays Joe, and Peter Finch opposite her, who I believe also directed this movie, plays Jake, her third husband. So very quickly, Mm -hmm. beautiful mother of five, Joe leaves the banality of her marriage to second husband Giles to wed her passionate screenwriter lover Jake armitage as suspicions of husband jake's philandering grows joe's sanity spirals so yeah. a lot of this movie is like a someone like you by adele music video where it's like Lord. you see her just kind of walking and it's not about what she's saying it's about inner dialogue and like the turmoil that she's going through and then she's like oh i'm just gonna pop out another baby and keep walking and no she, ha, she ha, she's like a baby factory in this movie. And they even call her out on how many fucking babies she has. Because she starts with five, and then I think at the end she has 50. 50 kids in counting. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: all, you know, n- never a man to be blamed for any of that. No, no. It's always her <laughs> fault.
0: So basically, the movie opens. She's clearly a depressed um, housewife who has had the life sucked out of her. Uh, but the movie is framed in a way where it's basically like cut scenes of the past to yeah. explain to you like how she got there and why she's feeling, like, a certain way. Also, hi, baby Maggie Smith. She's the mistress. Oh, my God, yeah.
1: In this movie. That was... And I gotta say, that scene of her in... Of Maggie Smith in bed, so she's a, a, a mistress. Yeah. And for some reason, she's staying at their home because she's between homes. Yeah, I couldn't figure that one and, out. <laughs> and, like, it is apparent that she is pro, uh, that she's this guy's mistress. And then, you know, the Anne Bancroft's uh, character is, like... Literally serving her breakfast in bed. Yeah, I know. I was just like, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, like, doing this her is a favor. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I guess, you know, all she knows how to do is service her children. I guess she looked at it the same way. I
0: guess so. And she also said that she liked her. She didn't say like... That's true. That She, she was like, no, nothing's going on. But I do have to say this, though. Would you really be as upset as... I mean, Anne Bancroft really brought a lot of um, depth and emotion and and turmoil and depression and sadness and melancholy. Yeah, almost annoyingly so. I agree with you because it it was... I wouldn't say it was over the top, but I would say it was almost over the top because I got to say, on your third marriage, Mm -hmm. are you really going to be that upset on your third marriage if your husband was cheating on you? I mean... I just—I don't know. Maybe that's just, like, a personal thing because, like, I'm in an open relationship. So for me, it's not really that devastating. Obviously, this is, like, the morality of the 1960s, and I have to take that into consideration. But it just seemed like she had a really rich father, and if she just wanted out of it, she'd just be like, I want another divorce. Yeah. And I want another townhouse. And he'd just be like, sure. Um, But, yeah, every single time that she would cough or sneeze, she'd have a child. And (laughs) then—but just—I do have to say this, though. Of all the things that I thought were kind of strange— the movie itself really dragged for me. Ugh. I found it really boring. I, it's so not this is movie. the Harold
1: Pinter script that I was that in the Yeah, and it, it, it's Harold Pinter all oh. over it in
0: regards to how slow yes.
1: and tedious it so was. So
0: tedious. This was definitely, like, I had to take a lot of breaks with this movie. Um, however, I will say that the acting, like... Anne Bancroft is serving. Like she is bringing. She's making the
1: best of this meal that she's been served.
0: Oh, 100%. And her accent is incredible. I I really thought she did such a good job. I've never heard Anne Bancroft do an accent before. And I think that she did it absolutely. I think she was keeping up with all the actual British people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that she nails every scene. She brings the emotional depth uh, that she needs to the character. Um, And there's something about this performance that just feels so vibrantly modern compared to some of the stage acting that we've seen in de- yeah. the unsinkable Molly Brown or Kim Stanley in uh, Seance on a Wet yeah, Afternoon. Yeah, this is understated. Yes. Uh,
1: and it's and definitely what, like what you were saying it's more about what's happening when the words aren't being spoken. Yes. So there's a lot like it's about her subtext and trying to read through her face yeah. what sh- what's going to happen next perhaps instead she of She seemed real. Yeah.
0: She didn't... I wasn't aware that I was watching an actor.
1: Yeah, like you were... Yeah, it's very much uh, that more naturalistic way of acting, which we're very accustomed to in, in movies now, where it's it's about the feeling more more than it is the words sometimes.
0: And also, like, whenever the second mistress that he went to Morocco with, mm. when she's at the... I don't know, let's say it's like a Christmas party or it's some sort of a house party, and she knows that they had an affair, but the way that she handles her emotions very strategically around her and chooses her words very carefully. You see, it's these subtleties and things that I really appreciate from Anne Bancroft and the way that she handles them. Obviously, this is heavily reliant on the script as well. But Anne Bancroft, this role, I felt like compared to all of these nominated performances, this was the most human, this was the most realistic, this was the most, yeah, like I'm saying, like non, like, actor-y and kind also, of performance. And also a
1: story where we're watching, where we're like, oh, this could be someone we know. Exactly. Yeah, like it was very much, it had a bit of an every-person quality. Like, this could, this could happen to somebody that I could be acquainted with as opposed yeah. to Like, no, I don't know Molly Brown.
0: No, I'm <laughs> looking for my rich husband. Always uh, oh, that way. Yeah. Um, over in them hills. Also totally random, but, uh, Anne Bancroft really knows how to do the best cigarette and her hand acting. Doesn't she? It's like a gift. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she
1: put that to good use in uh, movies after that, for sure. She's really good at that. Um, but overall, just really fucking boring. And there was movie. a leg acting scene. There was one scene in this which made me. I was like, oh, they, she utilized a, that bit of leg acting later on in The Graduate as well. You know, like
0: oh, that's oh, that's so true. Because there's
1: like there was just a, I don't know. It was a random shot. It was like just her legs that you got to look at. And I was like, oh yeah, we seen the we see those in another movie. That's so true. I didn't think about that. Um... Oh, but okay, can I talk? Mike, I do have a scene okay. that where where you and this is when you got to watch her her react, but. That scene in the salon. I
0: know the woman. When that
1: stranger who's like, "Oh, are, are you married to that man?" and and she's so nice, and then it just turns so nasty, and you're like, "Who is this evil woman?" I know. I know. That's just telling, like, "I think I could. I think I know a few more tricks that your husband would like to see." Yeah. And it's like then, then you would even know. I'm like, why
0: is this woman? She she just came to get her hair dried. Yeah. Like, leave her alone. <laughs> Like, her name is Yutha Joyce. Oh, really? I wrote it down because I was like, this bitch needs to chill. No, she had zero chill. I just zero chill. <laughs> yeah, it started out harmless enough, and then it just was like, why? Why aren't you everything? Why aren't you solving all my problems? Tell me, tell me. Like, I would have been like, someone should have been escorting her out. Yes.
1: Like, i be, okay, you're not, you are not worth the business harassing other people like that.
0: Yeah, somebody needs to take a little trip to the funny farm. Uh, and. Okay, I th- yeah. Overall, her acting is amazing. I can see why she's one of the greats of her time. I just think that the movie was so boring. Yeah,
1: it's just not. Her, it's not a movie that puts her like. It didn't show her off in the way that she probably deserves to be shown off in a way. <sighs> yeah, like, and-, and there isn't a moment where this where the character sticks up for herself either. Like we don't get a uh, like. I didn't feel like we had a moment where where we got to see her being like, enough is enough, or, you yeah. know, or like whether it's to her children that, by the way, for someone who had so many children, she sure doesn't spend much time with them. That's very true. All of those scenes of her walking alone, looking out windows, she's always alone. Yeah, her kids
0: are like, uh, hi, can you feed us? Yeah. We don't know how to make craft dinner. Um, that's very true.
1: Yeah. So I felt like this movie didn't serve her. She served for the movie, but yeah. the movie wasn't serving her.
0: So a couple things about this movie. Um, This movie actually never explains the title, which actually refers to a traditional children's rhyme. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife, but couldn't keep her, so he put her in a shell and he kept her very well. Um, this serves as the epigraph of Penelope Mortimer's original novel, which is the source novel of this movie. And this was considered a very prestigious film when it was made. It had a large budget and took 16 weeks to film, although it is under two hours in length. Some very famous actors, James Mason, Maggie Smith, Richard Johnson, Cedric... Hardwick were hired to play what were actually very small roles, occupying only a few minutes of screen time. However, it was a box office failure and reviews were largely disappointing. When it was first shown on the British television in 1971, it was cut by 12 minutes, occasioning an angry letter to the press from screenwriter Harold Pinter. Oh, of course. In later years to account for why the film flopped, James Mason was inclined to blame Pinter's script, which was rather more vigorously attacked by Penelope Mortimer, who wrote the original source novel, and the film's failure had a bad effect on the career of director Jack Clayton, who subsequently made only four more movies and one television movie, although he lived for 30 more years, and Jack Clayton uh, was the husband, uh, Jake oh ouch no it wasn't no it wasn't sorry oh dude that is completely not true it was peter finch i apologize nope that is 100 percent not true i just fully made that up so jack clayton was the director don't listen to me okay um so i will say though she won the golden globe for best performance in a drama and she also won the bafta for best actress even though this was kind of a bit of a flop box office wise. Mm. Um, So I actually really think that um, Anne Bancroft was expecting to win this Oscar. And apparently on Oscar night, when Julie Andrews won, allegedly, I don't know if this is true, she like kind of threw a bit of a fit.
1: Oh, I mean, Anne Bancroft needs to know that 1965 was never about her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if she thought that, it's like, look at your category. Um, And then go home and blame Harold Pinter. That's exactly what I would do.
0: Yeah. Or Jack Warner and and, and Walt Disney, because oh, it was uh, all about My Fair Lady versus Mary Poppins. Well, and I, I think we imagine things being like however how they've been
1: since the '90s, where people campaigned for their for their nominations and and things like that. But it simply wasn't the case back then. So any kind of talk was probably like just in the papers and the gossip mags as opposed to like no this person's really gunning for
0: this you know well you could actively lobby i mean in this allegedly in like feud um joan crawford actively lobbied against betty davis for whatever happened to baby jane because joan crawford got snubbed and then Mm. ann bancroft ended up winning for the miracle worker that's right so, you know, to Anne Bancroft, you have to be like, well, it's the Oscars. It's very political. Like, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You
1: often win for the movie after the movie you deserve to win it for. Cate Blanchett is the perfect example of yeah. that. <laughs> um, or re- Renée Zellweger. Winning. Or Renée Zellweger, yeah. yeah. Um, except for Judy well, okay, I'm talking about Cold Mountain. Yuck. She won for
0: Cold Mountain after giving... Oh, what was the movie that... After um, Chicago. Chicago. And Bridget Jones' diary. Yeah. But it's funny because I always talk about this. I talk so much shit about the fact that she had won that Oscar on this podcast. Oh, was it with you? Uh, I You've mentioned it to me, among I, others, probably. And the fucking Renaissance game for me. <laughs> the Renee Zellweger fan club. Coming for blood. Um, but anyway, it's just Anne Bancroft was incredible in this movie it's Anne Bancroft at her best it's Mm. just such a boring movie it really is and frankly if she would have won this Oscar because I also think that a lot of actors give a lot of amazing performances in boring movies Meryl Mm -hmm. Streep yeah okay like let's be honest, and so it's just sort of like I think that hurts it, especially as like the average American viewer uh, who might not be into the sophisticated theater or dramatic scene. Yeah, they sure. watch these Oscar-winning roles. Let's say they won for a boring movie. I feel like the audience, the average American, would just be like, "What the fuck is this? Well, how could they win an Oscar for this boring shit?" Well, oh,
1: and it speaks to the speaks to the category, the fact that Debbie Reynolds is nominated in the same category for something that's just opposite end of the spectrum a hundred percent you know like there's your american
0: tastes right there you know yeah and that's so true each one of these performances is so different from each other the only one that's comparable is julie andrews and debbie reynolds but frankly i found that debbie reynolds compared to julie andrews actually had like growth where Mm -hmm. mary poppins is just the same throughout the entire film yeah, I think we're going to get into that. So do you have anything else <laughs> that you want to add to Anne Bancroft and The Pumpkin
1: eater? No, I mean, I'm sorry that she was in such a boring movie because she yeah. did do a good job. She, It, it literally was like an Oscar winning performance, but it's just such a boring yes. movie. But I mean, once again, like I, how I mentioned Audrey Hepburn did just fine. You know, I'm, I'm not worried about Anne Bancroft after yeah, this movie. True. So yeah. true.
0: Um, Okay, so let's talk about Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins, and I would like to preface it by saying I have never seen this movie before, and I also hate musicals, so I am going to be a little biased in my opinion, however... Uh, okay, so obviously Julie Andrews is Mary Poppins, and Dick Van Dyke was Burke with the most unforgivable Cockney accent I have wasn't ever heard. It
1: wasn't a It was not a jolly holiday.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was actually perfect. Um, so Mary Poppins, I don't know who doesn't know what this is about, but very quickly for like the two people that don't. In the turn of century London, a magical nanny employs music and adventure to help two neglected children become closer to their father. And Mary Poppins is very magical. That's inexplicable. Whatever. Go with it. She's up in the sky. And then, um, do you remember whenever they're interviewing new nannies because the other nanny is just like, "Fuck it with these kids because they keep running away? Yeah, and they're like interviewing like the new nannies. Most of those nannies were actually men in drag. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so then they all get blown away. And then, whoop, here comes Mary Poppins. She flies in. um, and she, you know, greases the banister with her butt and it's all sparkly and everything she does is magical and 20 minute songs that never end. But they're the (sighs) most iconic, memorable songs throughout musical theater history. Is that a credit to Julie Andrews or is that a credit to whoever wrote those songs? I don't know. But I just, I feel like I'm going to elicit a gay gasp here. I feel like this type of movie and I mean this, but then it also brings into question do you win an Oscar for this, the the technical performance or because it's like the role of a lifetime? And is it about how amazing you played it or is it because it's so beloved? And is that a reason to win an Oscar? Because if I'm being Mm -hmm. honest with you, I don't really think that, I think Julie Andrews for her very first movie is doing an amazing job. And I think just to me, if we're talking about, you know, the emotional depth that Anne Bancroft had to bring to the role, or Sophia Loren to Italian Marriage Style, or Kim Stanley to seance at a wet afternoon. Or again, even Debbie Reynolds, having at least character growth, Yeah. compared to Mary Poppins, who literally comes in and is singing wonderfully, dancing wonderfully, but she doesn't really change. It's just Mary Poppins through the whole movie. And they even describe, she describes herself as perfect. In every way. In every way. Um. <laughs> For me, I just don't really know how you would win an Oscar over somebody like Anne Bancroft or Kim Stanley or Sophia Loren.
1: Well, and, and, you know, that's why, because she's perfect, this whole story of Mary Poppins has to focus on other people. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're focusing on the kids, focusing on the mother who's a suffragette. They give way too much time to that particular Mm storyline, I thought. Uh, you know the father in you know the the father connecting with. I mean the real story here is is and it, you know it pops in mostly at the end is that the father realizes he has to be present for his children. Mm-hmm. You know that would that's the lesson after two point however many hours. But it it's worth noting too. Mary Poppins does, I mean, yes, you see her in the little cloud up at the beginning of the film, but you don't see Mary Poppins engaging with anyone until 22 minutes into the film.
0: 24 and a half. 24 and a fucking half. Yeah, I paused and I took notes. Oh yeah, me
1: me too. Me too. So then, okay,
0: so then what you're saying is she's like the
1: supporting character. But she's also the title character, so I think that pushed her into best actress category because you kind of had to. Right. But there's so much time being we see more of Dick Van Dyke's character mm-hmm. talking about Mary, right? Than we see Mary doing anything, right? You know, everyone's talking about, oh, you have you met Mary? She's so great, yeah. you know. And I don't think that the way the character is written or what is given to us really shows us why we should like Mary Poppins, right? I I'd like, yes, she's needed to help these children, and, but I don't really, I, I didn't like her. Yeah, I don't. I don't like what she. You know, she's she, she's very cold as well. And this is part of the, that's why there's like there's no arc for her. There's no. It's just two dimensions all along. She's you know she's. I would say borderline is like one dimension. Well, yeah, okay. I was trying to be nice.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the thing that you also have to ask though is, it's like because this role and this performance is so iconic. Yeah. It, does that <laughs> add to? your odds of winning an Oscar, because it's like, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's almost like, um, who was it? I mean, this is going to be the weirdest comparison in the world, but like Kim Basinger in LA confidential, Mm -hmm. how the fuck did she win an Oscar for that movie? I don't understand. Like to me, is it just because it's so iconic and like she's just such presence in the movie mm-hmm. or is it like and so it's like with Mary Poppins is it like just because it's such it's like the role of a lifetime it's like she's using all of her skills to the best of her ability the best the iconic songs but it's like she didn't write the songs no. you know so it's like i i um for she's i don't know i just I don't know, like, obviously, like, I'm not an expert in this subject in any capacity. I'm just a comedian here to tell jokes to people, and this is a comedy podcast. But genuinely asking here, like, how can you compare Anne Bancroft in The Pumpkin Eater to Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins? Like, it's... It's like apples and oranges.
1: Well, and it, and quite honestly, the the special effects are the star of this show. Yes.
0: And they are
1: what made her interesting. Because if she were snapping her fingers and there were no special effects making all of the clothes and all the toys go away, uh, everyone else would be less impressed with Mary Poppins as well. Yeah. So really, the the performance itself, I'm, hey, she does a good job. She does a serviceable yes. job it's as Mary Andrews. Poppins. Oh, yeah. Quite honestly, when I heard when they were making the remake with Emily Blunt, I was like... Why, <laughs> you know? But I now watching this would be like, oh, there's definitely some updates that they could that they could be doing. Even if they're making it in the same time period, where it's like, okay, we, let's learn a little bit more about Mary and who she is. Yeah. A little bit more. You're not given any background as as to why she exists. We don't get any, you know, and any inner conflict, any any conflict at all from her. Any conflict at all. Yeah.
0: Well, did you see the new Mary Poppins? I have
1: not seen it. Mostly because I was like, well, yeah. Why well, I'm I'm an adult now. <laughs> I don't well, need to see the new Mary Poppins. I thought it was for kids. And I looking watching Mary Poppins, this version, I feel like it was so meant for families. Uh, and, you know, a, a rewatch as an adult isn't necessarily what Walt Disney had in mind.
0: Well, so, again, the first time I've ever seen this movie was yesterday. I'm a 33-year-old man watching Mary Poppins for the first time, and I hate musicals. So, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that I wasn't a huge fan of it. But then... Um, like the thing that killed me about this movie, I know that the singing is very impressive and the dancing and she's you're using the iconic Julie Andrews. And they're mixing cartoon with live action, which yeah, was very novel, very groundbreaking. And it's just sort of like, absolutely, I'm not arguing that. But the thing is, is the fucking 20 minutes like numbers going on and on. I got so bored that I started thinking about like dark Storylines where I was like, okay, maybe like the source of all of her magical power, it comes from the souls of children that she's trapped in paintings Mm. over the years. And maybe Mary Poppins is actually like a horror figure. And when she's done with you, she like traps you in something like a chalk painting or a wall painting. And then I just started going down this like dark hole of like she's actually a villain. And then I would snap out of it and then, okay, we're back to dialogue. Okay. And then (laughs) like I just... Could not pay attention to this movie because yeah. it is intended for families and it is intended for children. But God, what children, what child can sit through like two hours and twenty minutes?
1: Well, I mean, uh, our attention spans have dwindled over the decades, so yeah. <laughs> I think you know. I think the songs are what uh, keep it as popular as it has been. I mean, Super Califragilis, Spoonful of Sugar. Um, that that was, was the song when I
0: was a kid. Was the Spoonful of Sugar? Yeah, My- Chim
1: Chimney. You know. Jim Jimmy, Jim, Jim yeah, we all know Really, those. all of them.
0: Um, but they're my iconic. favorite is the Simpsons parody of Sherry Bobbins. Oh, yes. And they're like, oh my God, did you say Mary? No, yeah. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's IP, so <laughs> I most certainly didn't. Uh, interesting enough, this was the highest
1: grossing film of 1964. Oh, wow. This was Walt Disney's realization of what he always wanted, because this was his first time getting, uh, like, he mixed live action with cartoon, because he's always been about cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, his movies, the movies by Walt, by Walt Disney, never really got the you know the accolades because they are a fam. They were known as family Fair. Mm-hmm. So this was a big deal for him to have this movie being nominated for all the different things that it got nominated for, uh, and then ultimately you know Julie Andrews gets the best actress nod, and then My Fair Lady gets the best movie nod. And I feel like that's where it's they the were balance. trying to balance things. That, you know, like they do with director and original screenwriter all the time, too, where they don't give you the best director, but they'll give you best original screenwriter or something.
0: Oh, for sure. Have you... I've never seen The Sound of Music. Have you seen The Sound of Music? Have I? Okay. Yes, I have. Okay. My mother's
1: favorite musical. I've watched it countless times. Oh, okay. So, yes.
0: So, in terms of, like, a, you know, like, a performance, is she serving more of an Oscar-winning performance in, like, let's say The Sound of Music than compared to... Mary Poppins, yeah. Well, this
1: is a this is like the reverse of what we were talking about with like your Renee Zellweger and stuff. Like Julie Andrews earned her Oscar after she ah, won her Oscar because okay. Sound of Music, she is an absolute force, she is fantastic. The everything about it, also the story is you know more watchable for an adult, I think, as well. Gotcha. Um. And it's like, that's iconic to me. Like that's, Julie Andrews' Sound of Music is my Julie Andrews. Okay. Um, Not
0: Mary Poppins. No,
1: not, yeah. Not my Julie. (laughs) Not
0: my Mary. I don't know what I'm saying now. No, but like, but like, yeah. So I I understand what you're saying because I kind of figured because I think that people thought that she would win for the Sound of Music or at least from what I read. And then she didn't. So I feel like it was kind of like, well, you got one for...
1: But Sound of Music won Best Picture and it won all sorts of things. But yeah. there, there is that kind of thing. There's someone else this year. You've got yours. Yeah. That, that, I don't know why that exists so much in Hollywood, but it does. So much. That's why it's such a big thing when someone wins back-to-back Oscars. Like, that's why it's like, what? That means their second performance had to be so fucking good. Yeah. That they, they're like... Well, we gave you one last year, but like we can't help but give you another one now. Uh, you're, like you're forcing us. You it's know?
0: it's extremely rare. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and I I would have said that Julie Andrews should have won for Sound of Music, but I think
0: the reason she didn't was exactly because of Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um. At the end, uh, one moment I thought was very funny. Uh, little joke, little wink for the adults when they're all having their little medicine, and hers is rum punch. Oh yes. And I was like, I love oh, that, punch. that was for the adults. Okay, love that. Um, and then at the end where they're like, let's go fly a kite. I'm like, girl, I am as high as one watching it. So am, Good for you. I'm already there because yeah. I, I, I had to, I had to check out at one point because these musical numbers would just go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And you know, people back in like, like the mid century had that attention span. Yeah. Movies could be like four hours long. Well, let's it was sing, like an event.
1: Let's sing the chorus five times in a row. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like my tiktok millennial ass cannot sit through yeah, like a tough. 20 minute number. Mm-hmm. A couple trivia facts about this movie. I mean, just google it. There are 400 of them, but the I'm just yeah. going to pick out the the three that I liked the most. Um this was her very first movie, and she won an Oscar for her very first movie. I already mentioned the men that were waiting, the applicants, they were men in drag. And um, with five wins out of 13 nominations in total, this movie marked Walt Disney's single most successful night at the Academy Awards yep. uh, as of 2016. I don't know if that's since been... Jump- I think that's I think that's well, still... Well, I think
1: now that he's not alive, it doesn't matter quite as much either. So Very true. Like, if Disney has a big hit now, it's not like... Walt Disney's like, "Oh, thank God it
0: finally happened, you know, <laughs> wherever he is in hell." Yeah. <laughs> he uh I think holds the record for most Oscars ever at like 20 something. Does he really? He holds, I mean as yeah. a com- like, as the producer. No, just in general. Oh. He has the most Oscars won by any human being. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. I didn't yeah, know it's that. like 20-something.
1: So the Mary Poppins one was the one that really mattered to him at the time, but I guess he got some more Yeah, after that. Um, I guess he got ones for animation, too, at the t-
0: before Mary oh, of Poppins. Of course. A lot of technical, a lot of animated short, uh a lot of original song. Yeah. Although I don't know if that would go to him, but it is under his umbrella, so... I don't know, but he, he does have the record for the most. Oh, well, good for him. Um, I mean, also, you know, Nazi
1: <laughs> sympathizer from what I've read. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've read enough of it to be like, well, somebody believes
0: it. I mean, they make fun of it a lot on Family Guy, so yeah. probably. Well, if they don't want to get sued, it has to be true. Yeah, that's very true. So... Um, okay, well, I mean, listen. Julie Andrews, obviously, amazing singing, amazing dancing. An
1: icon. I wish she could still sing. That was a tragedy when that whole operation got botched.
0: Oh, I never, I didn't know about that. Yeah,
1: she had. So she had a, she had vocal notes, and they said the, and she knew the risks, and yeah, they operated on her voice, and she's, she doesn't sing because if she were to sing now, it would be upsetting to everyone, including her, because oh. you know she was such an icon with her yeah. voice. So yeah, that is sort of sort of sad. But great that she was able to do all these movies and, you know, give us her gift.
0: She always said that this Oscar win felt like a consolation prize to her. So she oh, yeah. actually left the Oscar in her attic for decades. And then after a long time, I think that she began to kind of understand, like, if you have your Oscar, you have your Oscar. Everybody wins for some reason. And yeah. now she has it, like, front and center on her mantle, like, for everyone to see.
1: Well, good. Because, see, just... I can't, like, I, my campaign for my my number one debut on, on iTunes, hope, uh, hopefully, like, you know, I, I think two years from now, no one's going to remember how I went about campaigning about it. They'll just remember, oh, yeah, Rob got a number one yeah. thing on iTunes. That's what Julie Andrews should be like as well.
0: <laughs> that's a great going full circle moment. Thank as well. you. I love self-promotion. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, okay, so do you have anything else that you would like to add to... Julie Andrews' performance is Mary Poppins. I mean, I just want to say I love Julie Andrews. I just don't love Mary Poppins. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think that the time has come <gasps> for us to oh select who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. So you are my guest of honor. So please go first. Well, I think that the winner of Best Actress for
1: 1965 should have gone to... Sophia Loren. Okay, why? Well, because I mean, she embodied so many different aspects of the human condition. I think. Um, I mean, being going from you know being a, a destitute prostitute to having the to showing her tenacity as you know a businesswoman. Uh, I mean, this was a movie that that served her as an actress as well, and so she was able to shine like uh, like I th- I think the other actresses just. Their movies weren't made for them in the same way that this movie just showed her off. And, and she got to do all the things, like making herself look ugly, making herself look gorgeous. Yeah. And having all the emotions in between of what of what needed to be done to, to make this a compelling, compelling movie. I was all over it. I agree. And yeah. it was inside. Like, this is probably the first time I've had, I would be saying that someone where I was watching subtitles and listening to uh, a language other than English, where I was like, still hands down, it was still theirs. Oh, yeah. In my opinion.
0: Okay, great. I love that. I love that. Um, I love everything that you just said. Okay. So, I think that the Oscar should have gone to... (laughs) Sophia Loren for Ah! Marriage Italian Style. I completely agree with everything that you just said. Um... I loved watching the full journey of her, even the terrible wig. Um, <laughs> i you know what? I forgot about the wig because I was looking at her eyes. that's true, and but I wasn't <laughs> 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 but. I mean, like, this is my first time ever watching a Sophia Loren movie. I get it. And I just love the drama that she brings to, like, her beauty. She has the big Dolly Parton, Trixie Mattel wig. Um, she's just this larger-than-life character. But whenever she needs to reel it in and it has to be dramatic, it has to be realistic. She really brings it down. Um, and then when she has to have the comedic moments, she does, um... Frankly, I also personally, I actually would have given it to Anne Bancroft because I think that she. I felt is, like you were going that way, to be honest. Well, I think that for me, Anne Bancroft went to like a darker, deeper place and gave me more of like an exciting, more modern type of performance that mm-hmm. we all um, are familiar with these days. Yes. It's just the movie was so fucking boring. Yeah. But I actually, if Anne Bancroft would have walked away with this Oscar, I'd be like, totally. But it's just the only reason why I'm picking Sophia Loren over and Bancroft is because I fucking loved Marriage Italian Style. I loved the movie. I loved Sophia. She is the picture. Yes. Um, And I also just love the scenes where, like, she would just be, like, arguing with him. She'd be holding her own. But then if things didn't work out in her way, she always had a plan. And she always would have a backup. And she knew what to do. She was very strategic. And it was just... She took what she there which very little that she had and she made it work for her. And
1: uh, you can't help but root for someone like that, you know? Yeah.
0: Like I just love, love, love this and I'm actually really excited to do the episode uh, with Sophia Loren as as for her Oscar win now because mm-hmm. I just really loved this movie so much. So yeah, for me, it would have been Anne Bancroft, but the movie was so boring that for me it has to be Sophia Loren in marriage Italian style.
1: Wow. Oh. This is the first time we've agreed uh, <laughs> when you've had me on. So this is this is a delight.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay, so uh obviously everybody listening, uh check out Robert Watson's number one debut comedy album, Homo Say What? on Say <laughs> What? All streaming platforms. Indeed. Uh and uh, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, uh, follow me at this is Rob Watson on Twitter
1: and Instagram uh, I run of course uh, Gay AF Comedy in the lovely city of Toronto and they have uh, an, in, uh, an Instagram handle as well which is gay underscore AF underscore comedy
0: uh, <laughs>
1: yeah it's what was available
0: okay but yeah but check it out thank you so much for being a guest and we'll have to have you back again yay I hope so Thanks, Bye. God. did you enjoy the show want to hear more episodes visit patreon.com slash best actress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad free with your subscription subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else oh my god go to patreon.com best actress to subscribe and i will see you all at howard's Inn.